Welcome to the United States Southern Command Women, Peace, and Security Breaking Barriers podcast. In each episode, we will host guests from the Defense and Security Forces in Latin America and the Caribbean to share powerful stories and provide valuable insight of women breaking barriers in preventing conflict and building peace. Our goal is simple, to make the invisible visible. Our host is Ambassador Jean Maines, a career diplomat who has served as the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of El Salvador and now serves as the Civilian Deputy to the Commander and Senior Foreign Policy Advisor at U.S. Southern Command. She also has full oversight of the U.S. Southern Command Women, Peace, and Security Program. So here's your host, Ambassador Maines. Well, welcome everybody to our podcast, Making the Invisible Visible, about women, peace, and security in the region. I'm delighted to welcome to our podcast our guest today, Commodore Weems Gorman from Jamaica Defense Force with us. She has an extraordinary career, and I know you're going to find listening to her a pure delight and inspiration for all those globally who are tuning into this podcast. With over 29 years of distinguished service, Commodore Weems Gorman is a career naval officer, and she is currently the highest ranking female officer in the Jamaica Defense Force and is the only woman at this rank in the entire region. She's also the first seagoing female officer to serve in the Jamaica Defense Force and has commanded various patrol vessels, the JDF Coast Guard, the Caribbean Military Maritime Training Center, and the Maritime Air and Cyber Command. So it is a true privilege and pleasure to welcome Commodore Weems Gorman. I've had the privilege to meet with her a number of times in person, and I know that you will find her just as fascinating as I do. So welcome to the program, Commodore Weems Gorman. Ambassador, thank you very much for having me. Well, let's get started because you have such a fascinating career. And so I would love it if you could tell our listeners, just a little bit about yourself and how you even got interested in this career. Sure. Um, So if you're familiar with Jamaica, you know that it it is one of the larger islands in the Northern Caribbean. Um, And so our defense force is is, um, a significant size relatively in in the region. Uh, And the island, I am from the, almost the center of the island. Um, And really did not as a child um, have much reason to interact or even see our military. So I I didn't know much about uh, uh, the Jamaica Defense Force until I um, had to migrate from rural Jamaica to Kingston, which is a city where most persons um, at that time, if you wanted to pursue tertiary education, you had to come to the city. It immediately appealed to me because um, it, it seemed non-traditional, and I, I think maybe as a little girl, I was always n- non-traditional or what you could call uh, possibly a tomboy. Um, I grew up as an only child with my grandparents, um, and my, I, I had no concept of not being able to do something that I wanted to do. And so I wasn't even tracking at the time that the JDF was not a, um, a place where it was normal to have women serving. And I just thought, well, I'm going to do that. It sounds like something that I could do and I want to do. And I set about joining. 
um, and encountered quite to my surprise that there were limitations existing um, uh, on not just uh, women, but it was a kind of a shock to me that there was something that, oh, well, I can't do it. I, 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 I didn't understand the concept. I just, <laughs> so, so um, I, I having um, gotten into the JDF um, and then I, I was really interested in, in the Coast Guard because apart from the JDF being very a non-traditional career um, you know, option um, for someone like me who came from rural Jamaica, I was fascinated by the Coast Guard. And, and, and I was then um, faced with the, 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 the thought or the concept that I could not serve at the Coast Guard because at the time there were no women serving um, there no female officers. They certainly had a few females who did some support roles. I think they had one or two radio operators and a few clerks, but um, no, no women were going to see. And so it was a foreign thing. And, and the hierarchy at this time thought that I was crazy and that it would not happen. But it was like waving a red flag in front of me, really, um, when I was told that I couldn't because I did not understand the concept. Um, and so it, it's been a wild ride, really. <laughs> I love that. So when they waved that red flag at you, uh, when you were coming in almost 30 years ago to the Jamaica Defense Force, yeah, you know, were there other women that were coming in with you or were you the only woman in your class? Or what did that look like at the time three decades ago? I started out... Um, in the what, how the JDF recruits officers through a process called a selection board. And that selection board started with uh, 34 candidates. And, and by the time they had, we had completed the process, uh, four, four women and four men got to the final stage. And, and at that final stage, I was the only um, female that was successful um, and so I joined an intake. So how it works is if, if you join as a potential officer, you will be trained with the, a, a batch of um, enlisted um, initially for your initial training, and then you would go on to your officer training. So I, I, I joined that intake, and um, then I was joined by another female uh, potential officer. So there were only two of us in that entire cohort. Incredible. So when you think back to that moment, and then when you moved on to the Coast Guard, at what point did they start allowing women to join the Coast Guard? When I was in basic training, I continued to advocate and to indicate that I wanted to serve at the Coast Guard, because that had a bearing on what officer training, what, what your initial officer training would be. And up until that point, all the potential officers of the Jamaica Defense Force were, were trained at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, um, and, and which you may be familiar is the Army equivalent officer training in the UK. But I was insistent um, that I did not want to go to Sandhurst, and I set about researching that there was a, a naval equivalent, and, and that's where I wanted to go. And, um, I, I got into a little bit of trouble here and there because I, I kept on, you know, offaying myself with naval drill and doing naval drill 
to much to the chagrin of my instructors, they were annoyed. Uh, you know, you're not a Coast Guard officer, do not salute with your hand down. And I was just completely rebellious and, uh, and insistent that I was going to be a naval officer and nothing was going to stop me. Um, and, and as a result, I spent a, a quite a long, uh, uh, extended period in our basic training facility because the other female that was in training, that was in training with me, she, she had also initially wanted to go to the Coast Guard. And when I arrived and I said, you know, yes, great, we can go to the Coast Guard together. She said, oh, well, no, they said we can't go. And I respectfully declined the opportunity to join her with that course. And so I think perhaps my immediate superiors were, were of the opinion that they would be able to wear me down. So they, I stayed back. In the, in the in the training um, depot, and I was made to go on various other courses that came in passed through the training facility. So I, I ended up being on a young officers course, which included officers who had already done their basic training, and I got uh, exposed to service writing and so on. So I learned the correct way to actually go about expressing my desire, and 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 I wrote to the chief of defense staff through the correct chain of command, which meant that I was no longer being, my request was no longer being held at the lower command level and it got to the headquarters where it had to be properly considered. And so I was fortunate at the time, the leadership of the force at the higher level was open to the, the, the possibility of this kind of change and integration. And, and I happened to have been a Coast Guard officer as well. And so I was, um, I was seen by the headquarters. My, my request was, was considered uh, and, and that's how I ended up um, getting my basic naval officer training in the UK at, at Dartmouth. Well, that's fascinating to listen to you talk about that, you know, the concept of holding out for what you really want and what you were really passionate about and not just taking the first thing that they offer you and somehow feeling lucky that you're, you're getting something, but really staying true to your pursuit and your passion of wanting to be a Coast Guard officer. And I think it's interesting also to note that the higher level commands were open to it, but the lower level commands were resistant to it. And so some of the things we're seeing in, in the world today, the higher level commands are trying to move and it is still some of the lower or middle ranking that's holding that back. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, you obviously faced a whole range of barriers throughout your career. And it would be interesting for the audience to hear some of those, but then also think through what are the barriers we still have yet to break through or structural changes? And so I'd love to get your insight on some of those questions. Your, your assessment is correct. Um, over the years, I have seen that one level of command, whilst they have an intent or they are open to, to a certain change, because the integration of, of women in, in this, what has been for, for so many years, uh, a male-dominated um, space, is, is, is really a transformation of how people think and, and see and employ women. The, 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 the challenge for, for the higher command is to translate that down to the lowest level and get persons to buy in. Um, and one of, the, one of the most powerful, I think, uh, support you can have for this 
integration of women in, in defense and peace and security is when you have male sponsorship of it. Um, because I, I personally um, had that in my career. I think I was in the right place, the, the right persons were in the right place at the time to, to um, advance my, my case um, and to, to, to afford the opportunity. So, so some of the, so the main obstacle is really cultural change, I think, and the way, way um, we think about the, the integration of women. Um, and, and, and it's not just in the military, in the, large, in the larger society, we have these obstacles and, and boxes that we place around um, different groups, which unfortunately women are, are the brunt of that kind of discrimination or, or unbalanced um, treatment. Well, I know your chief of defense, Rocky Mead, is very progressive and one of those who leads the way on reducing structural barriers for women in the Jamaica Defense Force. And I'd be interested to hear some of the things that you all are doing now to reduce those barriers. The last time I spoke with him, he was raving about, I believe it was the top five recruits of this past year were in fact women. And, uh, sharing the successes of, of the integration, but I'd be interested to hear what your plans are going forward in continuing to move the ball and break down those barriers across all the structures. Yes, um, the Jamaica Defense Force um, has really moved, have had step changes under the leadership of General Meade in terms of um, integrating women in, in the force. And his goal is really to, to have the force evolve to a point where there does, that, that this is not a conversation that is even worth having, that it is just normal to have women engaged in all areas of the force. And his his, his um, approach is, is uh, to have gender optimization in, in, in the force. And so he has opened up recruiting and he has indicated a quota, a minimum, that we must recruit a minimum of 25%. Um, all, all recruiting must have a minimum of 25% uh, of the of women. And in all professional development areas, courses, um, uh, trades, there must be a minimum of 25% of any gender. So there are some, some spaces or some areas that um, were kind of uh, reserved or left for women. A lot of the women who initially um, were serving in, in support roles and not in combatant roles, not in line, line command and that kind of a thing. And he has completely removed all of that to say, uh, for example, one trade for enlisted that was dominated by females would, would have been the, the writers or clerks. That in, he, he has now in, indicated that, well, you know, it must have the minimum of 25% of, 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 of both genders. So the, therefore, it, it is, uh, that would, you know, kind of, change the balance in that particular trade. But on the flip side as well, for the infantry, where we had no women um, for special or special forces, where we 
still have, no, we do have women now. Um, but up until last year, we had no women in special forces. So all of that is, is really to optimize, as he says, um, uh, and, and ensure that the opportunity is available for, for both genders in everything. He also has um, spare, you know, um, in, he has taken uh, on into his structure considerations for for different levels of of um, uh, what is the word? Different levels of of command to have a focus on gender, what we call gender focal points. So um, each formation um, at at the different levels must have uh, gender focal points um, that would advance the force policy and agenda um, an agenda with regards to integration of women. When you look at gender optimization, and I really like that phrasing of the issue. From your perspective, what do women bring to the armed forces that really, in fact, makes the armed forces better? So there are many benefits, I think, to integrating women in uh, all levels of defense and security. And, and I think the most significant of that is the different perspective that women bring to the table. Um, we are used to and know how to really employ our soft skills more readily apply them in, and we more readily apply emotional intelligence um, in, in, to, in our prof professional acts, um, leadership styles. And so that is a completely different thing from what is traditional in the military, which is very hierarchical and authoritarian. And it brings about uh, a different, uh, what I think is a positive uh, result with the, the, the ability to have a different approach um, that balances what is the, 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 the authoritarian and hierarchical nature of the military and other, other types of defense and security um, organizations. So it brings balance um, is what I would say. That's great. And when you think about your almost 30 years of service in the Jamaica Defense Force and you think through all of the moments that you have experienced, what are some of the highlights where you have felt most proud being a woman in the Jamaica Defense Force, knowing that there are hundreds and thousands of young girls looking up to you? Been quite a, a, a few um, moments, but I think some of my more favorite ones would be where I personally um, contributed to saving a life. That is, that is a feeling that is, is unmatched when you realize that the work that you've just done saved that person's life. Um, but in another way, um, I've been quite proud of uh, just having a young, um, a young private in training, female private in training, come up to me and say, you know, hello, mom, I have been, I've read about you. You're the reason why I joined the JDF and I want to do this. And so, I see myself in, in, in that young girl who um, probably came from rural Jamaica, just like I did, who, was, who, ha who have been able to influence to, to come and serve their country and they feel and, and you know, be, be a part of, of the Defense Force and have a good career. And those little things, I think, um, make you think that it was worth all the, the different experiences that's, that brought me to, to this point. 
<laughs> experiences, challenges, <laughs> roadblocks, whatever you want to call it. Yes. yes. <laughs> so when you think about going forward, what do you think are the next steps for all of us in women, peace and security, trying to you know, break down those final barriers that do exist? I think um, it is important to educate the service women or potential service women about the history of uh, women in, in defense and security. And many people are not aware of the quiet, silent, uh, unsung heroes of women who, who had gone before us and opened the doors for us and served in so many ways. So I think that is important for, for us to do. And, and so, the, so that would allow the current generation to be aware of, of, of the importance of their service and how it should inform you know, the way forward. I think having things, looking at the, the, the gaps that exist in how we integrate um, women in our services, ensuring that there are policies that will, uh, will you know, protect um, and, and safeguard both men and women serving together in this unique way, such as things like you know, uh, sexual harassment prevention, fraternization um, issues that occur when you have both genders working in the kinds of confines and, and, and environment that we have to work in a military. I think those are things that at the strategic level, leaders or uh, the leaders of the force have to consider. Um, and that certainly is on the agenda of, of General Meade and myself. Um, we also have to continue to work at cultural change, changing the culture of of, uh, of, of the servicemen and our society. So, you know, um, in many cultures are, uh, in, in Jamaica, I recently had, a, had to, to go to speak on an interview publicly on a matter of, for the force where a service woman um, had a inappropriate relationship, an enlisted person and a, and a male office, female and a male officer had a, um, a, 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 an inappropriate relationship and it became public and we were asked to, to respond. And in that response, the journalist asked me, um, have I ever been harassed um, in, in, in my career? And, uh, and, and as I thought about the answer, I thought about, you know, in the Jamaican culture or in the Caribbean culture, not many girls or women um, of a teenage, adolescent or adult age can say they've not been harassed in some way or another. Just culturally, um, you're walking on the street and, and, and it depends on how you really um, define harassment, sexual harassment. But simply making you uncomfortable, catcalling, you know, saying things like, oh, you know, you look like this and whatever. It is very cultural in our wider society. And so um, that is something that, 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 that will take us some time to, to address. Um, there are also societies or cultural um, practices where people still think that women should be, you know, 
stay in their lane in traditional jobs, their first role is as a good wife and mother kind of a thing. Those things still exist in the minds of some of our, our, our population. Um, those are the things we need to find ways to make those changes, educating and changing um, perspectives. And it would be great to hear if there are any special projects or initiatives that you want to tell us about that you're currently working on? Sure. And um, as the force executive officer, I coordinate the staff in the force headquarters and it gives me a unique position to influence and shape policy. And so I have used that opportunity to, to influence and review two significant policies that affect service women in the force. And I mentioned them before, the force sexual harassment policy and the personal relationships and fraternization policy. I'm also working with our, our senior enlisted, our force sergeant major, to pilot a communication and intervention strategy for service women. As we, we have realized with our increased recruiting of women, there are certain gaps that we need to fill. And I, I think that it's important that we communicate and, and intervene early in the service woman's life so that they, they have a good understanding of what military life is about. That's a very important point and one that we continue to struggle with in the United States, really looking at when you have reported cases, when it, you have more reported cases, is it because people feel more confident that they can report it? Or are there actually more cases? And then on the con of that, if there are less reported cases, are there really less cases or people don't feel confident in reporting? So it's a very complicated issue. Indeed. And, and it's one that we are um, uh, really, I, I think it's, it's very important for us to get a handle on. Um, we have seen since the implementation of our policy, which occurred ahead of the national policies on sexual harassment, that there might be some perception or perceived increase in cases. But I believe that this is as a result of us having a policy in place that provides the space and, and the comfort level for persons to report. Well, I think that's so important. And when you talk about raising the profile of the unsung heroes, that, you know, really making the invisible visible and showcasing their stories, which is one of you know, the reasons we started this podcast and have you as a guest today, it's to showcase women who have really led the way for a whole generation of women and to, and to give that space to both honor it and then move forward. But these are definitely challenges that not only Jamaica, not only this region, including the United States and globally that we're facing together. So as we close out this segment, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners about your experience in Jamaica uh, for all the listeners, both those experienced with the military and those considering a military career? Thank you for, uh, for that question. I think um, in my experience, what is important for women either considering a, a career um, in, in the military or in any, any career really is to be very sure of who you are and what you want to do. And whilst um, knowing that your competence and your work will speak for itself, and that is how you will earn the respect of your counterparts of any gender, 
Uh, and that is the most important thing is to is to demonstrate that continue to demonstrate that women are valued valuable assets to any type of organization not just in 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 areas of defense and security but but for persons thinking of um joining uh, their their respective service it, it there have been so many advances there's still ways to go with with at different levels for different forces but the 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 opportunity to not just to serve but to to um to continue the chain of progress for women exists in the military and or or other other areas of defense and security and it is always for the taking and and, and it's just really um we we make up women make up almost 50% if not more of the world's population it is just a no brainer that we should contribute to our own defense and security the strengths that women that make women good mothers um and and you know manage a household and 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 this kind of thing those are the same strengths that make them suitable and and um very very well prepared for the strenuous life in, in, in defense and security, if you want to call it that. I also think that they should not be worried about losing your femininity. You, there's no reason to, to think that, oh, well, all women in the military are, are you know, tough, tomboy, gung-ho types of things. That, that, that does not have to be the case. We can, we can really have both. You can be competent, you can still be a woman, and you could be a very hard, um, tough military leader. Yes, you can. And for our listeners, what a privilege it's been to have Commodore Weems Gorman here with us. And if you ever get the chance to meet her in person, you will see she is all of those things combined. And we're so grateful that you didn't take no for an answer early in your career. And you kept pursuing your passion and your dreams to become the Coast Guard and then to become the first Commodore in the Jamaica Defense Force and the highest ranking uh, woman in the Jamaica Defense Force and including the only commoner in the region. So what a tremendous accomplishment and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Ambassador. Always lovely to see you. Thank you very much for listening to the Women, Peace and Security Breaking Barriers podcast. We hope that you will join us next episode as we share new stories and continue to make the invisible visible. This podcast is a production of the U.S. Southern Command's Women, Peace, and Security Program and the Florida International University Stephen Cruz Institute for Science, Media, and Technology. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the U.S. Southern Command or the Stephen Cruz Institute. The hosts, guests, and WPS team members receive no financial benefits for participating in this podcast. To learn more about our Women, Peace, and Security program, please visit southcom.mil and look under Lines of Effort.